And welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans who love America. I haven't done a little political podcast in a little bit. Been busy with my vegan-ish and all things healthy podcast, which I'm proud to say has got now over 1,400 downloads. So that's great. This one's a little bit less, but nonetheless, still important, I think, to talk about political issues and try to meet in the middle. Not easy, but important. Hold that tension in the middle. Episode 20. So I'm going to go over a bunch of topics. If I can pull up the stories, I'm going to wait first. Okay, this one pulled up, I think. Wait, get excited here. Okay, no, I don't want a video. I want just the citations. Is this fully loaded? Yeah, I don't want the video. Okay. Um, so the first one I'm going to go over is... Yeah, nearly a month old. Is it a month old? It's not yet a month old. It is from Reuters, March 16th, 2022. And it just kind of blew my socks off. And I was happy as a Democrat to read this. A lot of Democrats are happy to read this. Hopefully all Democrats are happy to read this. If so, then the House will successfully pass this and it will go on to the president who will probably pass this i hope u.s senate approves bill to make daylight savings time permanent i know this is a little bit of an old one now but it's still worth mentioning oh i don't want the commercial by david shepherdson this is reuters The U.S. Senate on Tuesday, that would be Tuesday from March 15th date, passed legislation that would make daylight savings permanent time starting in 2023. Daylight saving time permanent starting in 2023. Ending the twice annual changing of clocks in a move promoted by supporters advocating brighter afternoons and more economic activity. The Senate approved the measure called the Sunshine Protection Act unanimously by voice vote. The House of Representatives, which has held a committee on hearing on the matter, must still pass the bill before it can go to President Joe Biden to sign. The White House has not said whether Biden supports it. A spokesman for spokesman for House Nancy Pelosi. Speaker Nancy Pelosi declined to say if she supports the measure, but said she was reviewing it closely. Senator Marco Rubio, one of the bill sponsors, said supporters agreed the change would not take place until November 2023, after input from airlines and broadcasters. The change would help enable children to play outdoors later, reduce seasonal depression, according to supporters. By the way, I suffer from that. Seasonal affective disorder. Many people of Scandinavian ancestry suffer with this. I know it's not the most important issue confronting America, but it's one of those issues where there's a lot of agreement, Rubio said. If If we can get this passed, we don't have to do this stupidity anymore. Pardon the pun, but this is an idea whose time has come, he said. 
the National Association of, well, it is also because California had it on our state ballot, and we have tried, as of, I believe, last year, if not the year before, to get this passed in our state, and it didn't pass. But we tried. We meaning mostly Democrats, I believe, or bipartisan. So this is fresh off the California failure to put it to the federal government. Pardon the pun, but this is an idea whose time has come, he added. The the National Association of Convenience Stores opposes the change, telling Congress this month, we should not have kids going to school in the dark. I mean, have you heard of solar lighting? Have you heard of LED? Got plenty of lights, a lot of technology out there for lights. I don't think they would be going to school in the dark. On Sunday, most of the U.S. resumed daylight savings time. Moving ahead one hour, the U.S. will resume standard time in November. Since 2015, about 30 states have introduced legislation to end the twice-a-year changing of the clocks, with some states proposing to do it only if neighboring states do the same. The House Energy and Commerce Committee held a hearing on the issue last week where Representative Frank Pallone, the committee's chairman, said, The loss of that one hour of sleep seems to impact us for days afterward. It can also cause havoc on sleeping patterns of our kids and pets. Pallone backs ending the clock switching but has not decided whether to support daylight or standard time as a permanent choice. Okay, well, we definitely don't want, like, regular sunsets at 4 p.m., please. No. At this hearing, Beth Mallow, director of Vanderbilt Sleep Division, argued daylight savings time makes it harder to be alert in the morning, saying it's like living in the wrong time of year for almost eight months out of the year. I mean, what do you think people in Scandinavia and Alaska do? (laughs) Okay. Pallone cited a 2019 poll that found 71% of Americans preferred to no longer switch their clocks twice a year. Supporters say the change could prevent a slight uptick in car crashes that typically occur around the time change and point to studies showing a small increase in the rate of heart attacks and strokes soon after the time change. They argue the measure could help businesses such as golf courses that draw more use for more evening daylight. It has real repercussions on our economy and our daily lives, says Senator Ed Markey, another leading sponsor. Daylight savings time has been in place nearly all of the U.S. since the 1960s after first being tried in 1918. Year-round, daylight savings time was used during World War II and adopted again in 1973 in a bid to reduce energy. Used because of an oil embargo that repealed a year later, the bill would allow Arizona and Hawaii which do not observe daylight save time, daylight savings time to remain on standard time as well as American Samoa, Guam, the Northern Mer- Marina Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah. I mean, I was happy because I am wanting my sunny nights. Um, and I have, I have always felt physically better with a sundown at 8 p.m., 7 p.m., even, dare I say, 8.30, then lights out at 4.30 p.m., or certainly by 5. It's just miserable, frankly, especially if you suffer from seasonal affective disorder. Um, and I just don't feel and at this point anymore about you know, the agrarians, and we did this for the farmers, and, you know, we're mostly not an agrarian society now, right? Um, 
I don't think the children going to school in the dark is a concern because I think we can mitigate that by having a well-lit full-spectrum light at wherever they're waiting for the bus, okay? Um, I do like the idea of people having more light when they get home to spend time with their kids outside. It's quality time and bonding, swimming, golfing, going to the parks. I think it's very therapeutic. Um, There's just not enough argument for me to warrant keeping on, keeping on with this clock changing back and forth, back and forth. So then I know a lot of Democrats agree with me because we put forth, I don't know if we specifically did, but it was on our California bill. Um, And I mean, you know, there's quite a lot of Democrats in California. We try to make it happen. I mean, San Francisco, I think, has tried to push forward this initially and others and it was a big loss when we lost it, when we when it failed. Kind of hope was dashed. And this is a resurgence of hope in the most unlikely of places. From the Republican Party. <laughs> from Marco Rubio. From Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it took a minute to go, wait, is this really coming from your party? And is this actually helpful? And it is coming from your party and it is helpful okay not going to go on auto backlash right maybe a far leftist would but i'm not a far leftist so i'm like this is encouraging let's encourage this yes um so what i'm hoping is that the aoc and the squad and the bitter bitter at the left does not far left, I should say, let's distinguish far left, does not just automatically do a backlash because it's from Marco Rubio, right? Or because it's a Republican initiative, the Sunshine Act. Um, If they can make it happen, and it's for the betterment of all, then great. Terrific. Let's support it. Um, If modifications for children... The disabled, anyone else, farmers included, need some help. Um, Let's get them the adequate lighting that they need artificially to do their jobs. Um, We have solar technology to do this. We have LED. We have other things. Let's do that. But um, there's just too many benefits for too many more people to have these longer um, sunsets then lights out at, you know, five o'clock. So I think wise Democrats should vote for the Sunshine Act. I don't think they should disparage it because it's a Republican initiative. I think the quality of the initiative stands for itself. And, you know, I think Joe will be reasonable, Joe Biden. I'm just hoping the House will be reasonable. So they're not always reasonable in the house. So I wanted to give that a shout out and I'm happy. I know it's late. It's not breaking news by any stretch of the image, but I wanted to talk about that. What else?
So Biden is extending the student loan deferment through August. Yeah. Extended the pandemic moratorium on federal student loan payments and interest accrual through August. Ending three, ending just three months before the midterm elections. I think that's a break and I think that's fine. And deferment is deferment. Um, why Biden is stuck on student debt cancellation. Inflation is the biggest threat to Joe Biden's presidency. Prices are rising nearly 8% per year and could go higher still before Federal Reserve rates, hikes, or other measures bring some relief. Let's read that. I have my own views on the student debt. This is from Rick Newman, April 6, MSN.com. Why Biden is stuck on student debt cancellation. Inflation, okay, we already read that, but I'll read it again. Inflation is the biggest threat. I'm going to write this down. Okay, Sunshine Act. Student loan. Notes as I go. Inflation is the biggest threat to Joe Biden's presidency. Prices are rising nearly 8% per year and could go higher still before Federal Reserve tax Federal Reserve rate hikes or other measures bring some relief to family budgets. But inflation isn't the only risk Biden faces. A key cohort of voters have another major complaint, student debt at all. As a candidate in 2020, Biden pledged to cancel up to $10,000 in student debt per borrower. As president, however, Biden has done very little and he's once again stuck between liberal demands for sweeping action and the pragmatic solutions he offers as a candidate trying to win centrists and moderate voters. As an awkward compromise, Biden's boldest action on student debt has been an indefinite moratorium on paying most of it all back. The CARES Act, which Congress passed in 2020 during Donald Trump's presidency, deferred student loan payments for several months interest-free. Trump extended the deadline twice, and Biden has now extended it four times with the latest move on April 6th, pushing the deadline from May 1st to August 31st. The government says that each month the payment pauses in effect. 41 million borrowers hold on to an additional $5 billion or $122 per borrower. $122 per borrower. The August deadline probably won't hold either since the 2022 midterm elections are just two months later. Having gone this far, there's no way Biden will end the moratorium and force the resumption of payments right before millions of people vote. So expect another extension that puts them at all the way into 2023. Deferring that long might seem like a shrewd political move, but it could backfire if Democrats lose control of one or both of the houses. Congress this year. As many forecast, I just have a side comment. Why, why whenever my party gets a majority, nearly immediately they're so paranoid all the time about losing that? I just want to put a pattern out there. So I'm older, 47, going to be 47 this year, 46 right now. It's just a long-term pattern. Whenever we get a majority, immediately the paranoia of if we lose, if we lose, if we lose a house, if we lose a house, it becomes the constant narrative. I just want to mention that and just be like, if we're doing things right, why are we so paranoid about losing? So just take a note of that. If we're doing big, sweeping, drastic, got to grab, got to get it all we can now, and, and it's dramatic... Maybe we will be in that constant cycle of panic, attainment, panic, attainment, panic. I think it's ridiculous and unstable 
and it gets exhausting to continually hear over years and years and years whenever there's an uptick and Democrats take over, they're just as paranoid about losing it. So, I mean, this is where centrists and moderates shine because thoughtful, slow, progressive change that's palatable, not big, sweeping, dramatic, far leftist drama that freaks everybody out and then gets Trump elected. Just saying. They'll never get the pattern on the left. They're living in a different world, right? The most we have hope for is my central dumps and me and some few far left that eventually will come around, you know, off their idealism into realism, off their fictionary America that is some sort of a clone of a socialist ideal country that is not in reality of how our law works. We don't have to like it. It is what it is. But I just feel like, why are we constantly panicking about losing once we get assume? Just take a minute with that, will you? Moving on to the article. Congress is here. Many forecasters expect if that happens, Democrats will have essentially no chance of addressing student loan debt through legislation, which is the course Biden prefers. Some activists occur, including a number of Biden's fellow Democrats in Congress, want Biden to cancel up to 50000 in debt per borrower through executive action, executive orders. But it's not clear Biden can do that, and legal action would probably ensue if he tried. Yeah, executive orders are limited. President does have broad-sweeping powers, that is true. But there is a check and balance on the president, too. So legality is what everything in our government structure of America is based on. Not what we think about it, not what we would like it to be, not what we hope it will be, but what the law dictates it to be. And then we work through the law and the challenges of that. And if enough people want to change the law, then we see change, right? Okay. So elementary, I know, but I feel like I need to say these things sometimes. A year ago, Biden asked Education Secretary Miguel Cardona to recommend a way forward. Other Biden review requests have come with a 90-day deadline. The student loan request an open-ended, and the White House hasn't said whether it expects an answer. Suggested stall thon is underway. While Biden's policy team prays for divine intervention, if you were Biden, you might stall too. Student borrowers owe 1.6 trillion. How much of that debt is money well spent on an education that will dramatically raise lifetime earnings? But some overburdened borrowers still have a hard time paying off their loans building wealth and progressing to normal activities like buying a house. Borrowers who took on debt but never finished college may be worse off because they don't even have the degree the money was supposed to pay for. Some borrowers carry debt into their 50s and beyond and never break free. True. Maybe a falling illness or so you have to step in and become a caretaker for somebody because there's no one there. You can't finish college, you know. People in their 30s owe the most, followed by 20-somethings and 40-somethings. Biden's popularity has sunk about 15 points since he took office in 2021. And that happened at the same time inflation was worsening. So the link between rising inflation and Biden's following approval seems fairly clear. It's hard to make a link between student debt and action, but January CBS News poll found support for Biden has fallen most among voters under 30. Uh, Biden's approval among that group plunged from 70% to just 42% this year. That's double the drop in any other age group. Hmm. 
Biden might have himself to blame for promising something that was always going to be hard to deliver during the 2020 Democratic presidential primary campaign. Bernie Sanders ran on forgiving all student loan debt, or Elizabeth Warren called for giving up to 50000 for qualified borrowers. Biden pitched himself as a pragmatist centrist against the liberal Sanders and Warren was more circumspect, calling for the cancellation of $10,000 in student, le- student debt. The Vine print in his plan said Congress should do it through legislation. Congress hasn't come close. The American Relief Plan it passed last March included a small provision for borrowers and income-driven repayment plans, but no large-scale debt forgiveness. Democrats with tiny majorities in both houses of Congress have famously struggled to pass any favored legislation since then. Biden's Build Back Better program died last year. That didn't include student debt relief. Biden didn't even mention the student debt relief in his March 1st state union address. There's nothing on debt cancellation in his 2023 federal budget either. Liberal Democrats in Congress are pushing Biden to act, but this is a familiar game between liberals who don't have the votes to get what they want and the president trying to satisfy everybody in the liberal moderate bands of political spectrum. Yep. You know, being a central dem is kind of a kind of a purgatory. <laughs> A necessary purgatory. Once you understand that, you'll understand the looks on our faces at times and that suffering that only another central dem totally understands. Yeah. And why? Because we are such a divided country down the middle. And there's not yet enough of us to really have the country we want. So it's a constant compromise. It is kind of a unique purgatory, but it does get things done. Not the idealist way, but it does get it done. As Biden has done with other progressive priorities, such as paid family leave, expanded child care and child tax credit, Biden is taking up the concept and saying he'll sign the bill while knowing Congress can't pass it. He's endorsing the liberal wish list without ever having to explain the moderates why he signed off on expansive new programs they might view as overreach. In reality, there are many problems with forgiving student debt which Biden manages to avoid as long as Democrats can't pass a bill and shuns executive action. Student debt cancellation would be a subsidy for people who choose to go to college during a given point in time and finance by borrowing, with no similar subsidy for people who paid their way through college, went to trade school, or chose something other than college. There's also a potential outrage factor among people who just paid off all their debt. Yeah, (laughs) talk about resentful, right? If you just paid off all your debt. Or who are just taking on new debt who wouldn't get that benefit, right? It's not really student loan equality there. It would also deprive the government of billions of dollars of revenue for years to come. Those canceled debt repayments, which is money not spent on other things, voters modestly favor student loan debt cancellation, but policy experts don't. Biden, to his credit, has pushed through some small improvements and touted as a candidate, such as canceling debt for student defrauded by for-profit schools and debt forgiveness for 30,000, oh, sorry, 300,000 borrowers with disabilities. Biden officials have also argued that extending the 2020 moratorium indefinitely is itself a form of, of debt relief. True. Yeah. The problem for Biden may be the voters who blame him for doing nothing. Those young voters helped elect the oldest president ever in 2020, and if they lose faith in Biden, they may not be replaceable. 
And oh yeah, they're struggling with inflation too on top of all that student debt. Okay, that was a well-written article. Let me just go, I have my thoughts. I'm gonna talk about that, but let's see. Let me read another one. Just get all the nuggets. Is this the same? Cron for, no, Cron. So I don't wanna read the exact same thing, but maybe there's a different take. Yeah, we didn't hear any Republican perspective on this, so let's try to find that. Okay, I'm going to just read some, some synopsis of this article. This one is from Cron, San Francisco, Alex Gangatano, April 6th, Biden extends student loans freeze through August. That is appropriate citation. Okay. <laughs> Republican lawmakers were critical of Biden for the freeze extension. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, called the moratorium an insult and reckless on Tuesday. President Biden's perpetual student loan payment moratorium is an insult to every American who responsibly paid debts. There's no free lunch. This reckless move puts taxpayers on the hook for billions, the senator said. Thomas Gokey, with an, organi an organizer with a debt collective with advocates for student loan cancellation, called it political malpractice to start loan payments before the midterms. Yeah. I mean, for sure. So what are my ideas? What should we do about this? What do I feel about it? What's the right thing? Well, I don't have any student loans. That's actually the one type of debt I don't have. <laughs> yeah. Um... I never finished college. I am still 75% done with my bachelor's degree. <laughs> I got the grant, the Pell Grant. I worked two jobs, I think. I did everything I could to try to make ends meet. And I just had, you know, grandparents on both sides of the family, not just one side, but both sides, who just uh, unfortunately didn't follow the pattern of most of my peers where if their parents couldn't afford to send their kids to college, then the grandparents would step in. That was most of my peers. And not all of my peers could afford to continue to go to college, regardless of aptitude. And so grandparents did step in. Yeah. So in my family, both on mom's side, dad's side, not the case. Never would have suspected that. Didn't know him not to... Yeah. And I think for their generation... It just wasn't on the radar or they didn't feel it was their responsibility or, you know, and the sad thing is, is it just wouldn't have been much. It would have actually been a drop in the bucket. Um, and I was promising and I did have, you know, leadership, president of the honor society of my college, inaugural by invitation of the dean because he saw I was a go-getter. And I knew he knew I could do it. Uh, not because I had a 4.0. I didn't. No. 
not because I could do calculus, I can't, but because he knew and had confidence in me that I could make it happen. And I did. That was really nice. Um, and president of the drama club, president of the environmental club, wrote for the student paper, directed the first student production of talent show, uh, majored in theater arts. I mean, just on achieve, achieve, achieve in what I was focused on, which was theater arts. And I was good at it. Yeah. And it really would have been a drop in the bucket later learning to both, um, or a loan, even family loan, something, but the heart wasn't there to see it through. And that put me into a big depression, but ultimately it was fine because it also led me to faith. It definitely got my attention on what really matters. And this was in the days before online college. So if you didn't have your traditional degree, you were pretty much screwed. Yeah. And your class was going to stay working class. You were not going to mobilize up. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously it doesn't matter, hasn't matter for quite a long time now. We've had online college and it's actually been very respectable and every university has jumped on the bandwagon. So yeah, I'm still 75% done. I will actually uh, get to go to my dream school, which was not the dream school that I thought it would be when I was younger, but I'm, you know, I'm turned into the direction of natural health and science. So it'll be a private university that I'll finance myself. I don't think I'll need loans. I can just pay for it privately now. But, you know, I know the woes of people who have complained about student loan debt. I just don't happen to have that. I've had credit card debt, which is terrible. Still do. But I mean, when it was really, really crippling, I've had car issues. I don't have cars now, thank goodness. But um, I've had other kinds of debt but not, um, I haven't had big medical debt just one time to the ED, but again, when you're hardly making any money, that was a lot. So, I mean, I can't really speak to experience of having specific student loan debt, but I do have opinions about it. I think no broad sweeping cancellation, not for the AOC. Um, okay. Ocasio-Cortez. No. Not broad sweeping cancellation of debt via Bernie Sanders either. No, I don't think it's needed. I don't think we need to absolve everybody of their responsibilities blatantly and blanketly. I don't think that's needed. Okay. At the same time, on the other side, I don't think everybody should have to pay back every dime in every circumstance either. So what does that leave you? Oh, in the middle, case by case. Case by case. And what did we just read? We're just discussing about how even if you broadly forgave debt from this period of time to this period of time, the people that just paid off their last student loan payment are going to be really resentful, right? It's not equal. It's not applied equally. So we're already starting at a baseline of not being applied equally, even if the far left got what they want. So I think the best method for solving this issue of student loan debt and what is to be done in America um, is probably political, probably drummed up by our central Dem party, 
um, with bipartisan support only in the sense of certain qualified individuals that could apply for loan forgiveness, student loan forgiveness entirely, or percentages of student loan forgiveness. Now, what? here's why. Because it's one thing if you have a bachelor's degree in a really good field and you're just tired of your career and you want to do something else. So you go to grad school and you you were making good money before. You just it wasn't your dream job, right? But you could put food on the table, you could buy a house, you could raise a family, whatnot. And you just were done with that and you wanted to do a different venture. Maybe more of a creative venture, maybe more of a um, something else. And you get a master's degree. Um, and you take out loans to do that. I don't think that person, and it doesn't come down to race, gender, any specific demographics, just that scenario. I don't think that person should be given loan forgiveness. When it was a choice, not a necessity, when they could have just plugged along, saved their pennies and paid it off, you know, without taking loans out. I don't think that person qualifies. But what about the struggling single mother who was a housewife or was working a menial job, now divorced, has to figure it out, has the whole family help raise her kids as she goes to night school, whatever. And this could be a man, this could be what, you know, I'm not just, I'm just painting a picture. Um, And this woman's like, I have to hustle. I was a, you know, a waitress or a cook, and now I want to be a doctor. And this, you know, said imaginary woman has aptitude, qualifies, or a lawyer, you know, aptitude qualifies, perhaps even an immigrant, dare I say, you know, legally here, um, or a naturalized citizen legally here. And they rise up and they hustle and they become an attorney or they become, um, you know, a physician, but they had to really sacrifice time away from their kids, burden of the raising of the kids on other extraneous relatives. Um, it was a cost, not just a decision. It was a necessity to keep the family afloat because now one income versus two incomes, and especially in the Bay Area, a high expensive area to live, it's it's a lot, you know. That's an entirely different set of situation than someone who just wants to have a career change and have the government pick up the dime, isn't it? Now, what's another situation? Okay, some good, well-meaning American who has all good intention to pay back the debt, works hard, gets good grades, maybe has a part-time job to offset cost of books, which last I looked were really expensive. I remember that. Um, And... Suddenly, their parent falls ill. Maybe they're living at home to save money. Suddenly, their primary, you know, support falls ill. Maybe gets a diagnosis of cancer or something long and drawn out and financially draining, and they have to maybe sell the house and maybe take out a second mortgage. Something else goes on. Medical bills are piling up, and the reality is, is that person, that youngster has to, you know, young adult has to quit school and go to work full time and something that's not as great just to help with the bills. And that person does that and caretakes for the ailing single parent, perhaps, and incurs a lot of credit card debt to make ends meet, you know, and is just drowning in debt. 
you know, because of a medical caregiver need that could be documented, that could be proven, that could be the records copied and brought forth as proof, you know, should that person be forgiven and debt canceled? Yes. Yes, worthy, right? Because that person was doing everything right and just had life change the plan and really impact in significant financially damaging ways. Yeah. And through no fault of their own and actually doing the right thing by taking care of their family, you know, yes, that should be rewarded, right? Or if not fully, you know, maybe for a medical 50% reduced or something else that's reasonable, right? So I think all of these things are case by case. I'm not for a big blanket for loan forgiveness with no introspection. And um, it is unfortunate that we, our country does allow a lot of fraudulent colleges to exist that fool people who don't aren't savvy, who are gullible, who think they're paying for credentials only to graduate with a huge amount of debt to realize that they've been taken. That sucks. And that is legal in our country, unfortunately. It's legal. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I like that, that the idea on that was to be forgiven for loans. But also there could be more forewarning. Because that, in a way, is a check and balance on the system. It's like if you're going to allow these fraudsters to profit and it's the due diligence of the student to figure out whether they're being frauded or not and not everybody has that ability, okay, I can see loan forgiveness for that, right? So do you know what I mean? Like these scenarios apply to all race, all gender, all socioeconomic status. You know, it's deservingness. Who deserves to be loan forgiven? And who sets up the criteria to qualify the forgiveness algorithm for student loan debt? I would say, you know, government leaders, bipartisan ideal, right? Or maybe there'd be some sort of like agreement signed contract that, okay, we're going to forgive 50% of your loans. In exchange, new doctor so-and-so who was a waitress and now you're successful, you need to go serve, you know, uh, you need to go um, practice in the underserved for three years. Okay, that's fair. Or Miss Lawyer or who, or Mr. Lawyer or whoever. You know, maybe some sort of like giving back in exchange for loan forgiveness so that you're actually being of service. I think it's creative. I think there's many different ways. I don't believe in this blanket solutions that wipe out things and there's no accountability. I think it's sloppy. I think it's disrespectful to the person who incurred that debt. And I think case by case isn't that difficult if America forms the guidelines, right? If America forms, hey, these are these are the circumstances of which people get loan forgiveness and these are circumstances of which there is, you know, a, a, a tier system, so to speak. And if you want to work even harder for the underserved, okay, then you get even more forgiveness. So then there's giving back in that way, right? Because some would do that. Some do that anyway, regardless of whatever their loan status is. So capitalizing, if you will, on, you know, goodwill. Okay, so that's my solution to the student loan situation. And um, 
I'm oh, I'm very much an advocate for education. It's one of the things that no one can take away from you in life. Eventually, I'll finish mine. I've still been educating myself the entire time. I don't feel gypped. Um, thank God for online college. <laughs> I can say. Um, yeah, I feel like we need to be creative with the solutions with this and who will make up the rules Our elected officials working together better together Republicans and Democrats on this to form um, a debt forgiveness committee perhaps that would be fair okay what about mil- okay Tom Cotton's so military he's very pro-military what if there would be also some sort of like military forgiveness so someone decides to enlist in our armed forces Tom Cotton and that they're deciding to I don't know work for very little or whatever I don't know how the military pays people but however they whatever their service credits I'm just saying like I really don't know what I'm saying but ideas let's just say you know to appease Tom Cotton or maybe military Republicans um they want to be in service to their country. They had never thought of that before. They think, hey, this is a way to pay off loan forgiveness. I'll sign up. I'll enlist. Okay, I think that should be a pathway. I mean, I think veterans already get huge discounts in education too, if not free, right? So what if someone never thought about going to the military, but they chose, they chose of their own volition, that pathway to pay off Their debt, I think that should be allowed. That's a form of loan forgiveness and service trade, right? A lot of creative options here. So let's get away with these big extremes. See, I can't stand it. I I really don't know which side angers me more, the far left or the far right. It's a tie, probably the far left, because they should know better, but they don't care. And that's what drives me bananas. But anyhow, see all the creative ideas? you know, that we could do, that would be fair. And what is fair? Well, fair is based on the person and circumstances and what was going on at the time. Yeah. Would that not appease people that have recently paid off their student loans if they knew someone that had a medical emergency or a financial medical catastrophe of taking care of a loved one, bankrupted them, and then they get loan forgiveness? I think people wouldn't be as upset about that right okay that's my answer for that do I want to go into the environment I only have 15 minutes left should we talk about Russia oh let's talk about a couple other ideas I think I'll save the Russia thing right now let's talk about this one I found this one really interesting this article And I was like reading it and going, wait, is this person being sarcastic? Is this person being serious? I couldn't tell. And I love that. I love a good writer that like lures me in and I'm trying to figure out what they're talking about and their mode and their agenda. And I don't know. And I still don't know at the end, but I think I kind of know. I'm going to read it and see what you guys think about this. Do you think he's poking fun? Do you think he's being serious? (laughs) This is Brett Ahrens, B-R-E-T-T-A-R-E-N-D-S. It's an opinion ed, and it is by MSN. It is yesterday, which would be what? Is that the, I don't even know what date it is half the time. Hmm. 
Okay, it was be April 14th. There we are, 2022. The title of it is, I said msn.com, right? Millennials, millennials, millennials have solved the retirement crisis. When I read that, I'm like, really? Hmm. Tell me more. Brett Arendt's ROI. I'm going to read it just as it's written. And let's just, just like, you'll hear my thoughts. Wow, it looks like millennials have totally solved the retirement crisis. And it turns out it was a lot easier than anyone realized. The solution? Cryptocurrencies, of course. A new survey of 4,000 people by Investopedia found that more millennials own cryptocurrencies than own stocks. Some 38% own crypto, just ahead of 37% who own stocks. And of 28% of millennials saying they're planning relying on cryptocurrencies to support them in retirement. More millennials told the survey they were planning to rely on cryptocurrencies in retirement than said they were planning to rely on mere savings. The cryptocurrency figure was about the same as the percentage who planned to rely on stocks. No wonder millennials are also expecting to retire early at an average age of 61, three years earlier than Gen X, that would be my gen, and seven years earlier than baby boomers. It's yet more evident that millennials now age 26 to 41, so if you're in that age range, you are Gen Y, really are the smartest generation ever. Interestingly, Gen Z, meaning those aged 18 to 25, is way behind on crypto. Gen Xers, in fact, are more into crypto than Gen Z. Some 28% of Gen X members own crypto and 20% are planning to rely on it for the retirement as an impressive number as Gen X are already aged 42 to 57. And why not? Anyone who's read the Harry Potter novels <laughs> knows that solving a financial crisis is easy. All you have to do is call something digital an asset and then wave a magic wand at it while flicking your wrist and saying, Wingerum Levosia, <laughs> making sure, of course, to get the pronunciation right. I'm sure I botched it. Then watch as the value levitates to whatever you want. This is, after all, how Bitcoin now supports a total value of more than $800 billion, more than the market caps of Coca-Cola and Pepsi put together. Why wouldn't Okay, who wouldn't rather own all of Bitcoin than all the stock in Coke and Pepsi? And this is why an online image sold for $50 million, which is about as much as a crappy old Monet painting is about to sell for. Honestly, why would anyone want a Monet when they could pay the same amount of money for a screenshot? Currently, all these cryptocurrencies and digital assets have a notional value of over $2 trillion. That includes $23 billion for Dogecoin, which was launched as a joke, but then Winder and Lavosia. <laughs> there are only three questions that remain. First, if we can magic up $2 trillion, why not magic up $200 trillion and make everyone a millionaire? Second, if digital assets are so valuable, why are insiders willing to exchange them for worthless flat dollars? I think it says flat dollars. I can't tell if that's an L or an I, like regular money. Third, if people are relying on cryptocurrencies for their retirement, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I just want to know how old this guy is and what gen he's in. <laughs> yeah. What do we think? 
what could possibly go wrong with relying on cryptocurrency for your retirement? Which, according to this article, he is saying most millennials are doing. Why does that not surprise me? And why am I completely concerned for them at the same time? And furthermore, why would Gen Z be even less inclined to invest in crypto than even my generation, who's probably just intrigued with it because my Gen X has seen literally every bit of technology. Like it's exhausting. The museums of technology in our minds. It's <laughs> I'm maxed out. You know, it's like I've seen every single development. You just kind of get bleary eyed and don't want to anymore. But saturation point, I guess. I think most of my generation is just curious. It's like, well, this looks like an interesting thing. But Gen Z seems to be like, heck no. But millennials are all in. And it's just the same issue of cryptocurrency. It's fascinating. I want to get like a psychologist on here and like break it down and discuss why. Why the three gens have such different... Well, I mean, Gen Y, Gen X, sorry, Gen Z, Gen X have a little bit more parallel in common. We're stabilization generations and we don't like to take a lot of foolish risks or what we perceive as a foolish risk. We're not even foolish, just high risks in general. And typically boomers and Gen Y, aka millennials, um, love the thrill of the unknown. Um, chaos is their comfort zone and they are revolutionary generations. They're not happy unless there's some chaos or drama or something being stirred up. For the most part, it's a gross generalization. It's also true. It's also social engineering. Sorry, but it is. And there's a reason for all this. And yeah, I've never felt good about crypto. I could invest. I mean, I've been told invest as much as you'd like to lose at the gambling hall. I don't really gamble either, right? Or in gambling. I don't. But what I'm noticing is it's very volatile. Um, Russia seems all into it, which makes me very concerned. And I think it's really easy to steal a lot quickly with crypto. And I don't think it's as easy, perhaps, to steal with non-crypto. That's my first concern. Um, I think relying on cryptocurrency solely for your retirement is beyond foolish. goes against the basic principle of investment, which is diversify your portfolio. Do I think millennials get lured by the drama and the excitement and the roller coaster and the chaos and the up and down and up and down and up and down and they don't actually care if they get to retire, they just want to be in it to win it for that big money? Pat Sajak and Wheel of Fortune, come on, big money, big money. I think I could be wrong and I see the good and the bad in each generation, I really do. I am concerned that Gen Y won't retire, but I could be wrong, but I, I, so I don't know. I just thought it was a funny article I was trying to figure out. I think he's being sarcastic and I think he's poking fun, but 
yeah, I wouldn't put all of my retirement in any one type of investment. I just think that's plain foolish. I don't know. Is foolishness a characteristic of Gen Y to some degree? Yeah, to some degree. So more curious than that is why, what I would like to know is why Gen Z is like not into it. Because you would think they would be the youngest and the most into like all this technology, right? So what is it that they see that they're like, I'm out, not doing it, not, not going to put that much in there. I like it. I, I, I agree with Gen Z's point of view. I'm just curious as like, what is to account for that? <laughs> Fascinating. Anyway, I have only a few more minutes. Do I have time for one more? I don't even have an answer. And honestly, I don't, I've, I have tried to understand crypto. It's just still too bizarre for me to get my mind around. And I don't like to invest in things that I don't understand. It just bothers me. It's too complex. Yeah. It's too complex. I also don't like that it's, you know, the highway of many an illegal, um, you know, you're basically trading along right there with the, you know, human traffickers and whatnot. But one could say, hey, same thing with dollars too, and point taken. So I don't know if there's a moral hierarchy anywhere with money, but at least I understand the dollar. I don't understand the currency. I've tried. I don't feel like I'm a dumb person. I just, when it gets so esoteric. And also the environmental impacts. Oh, it could be that. I was like, why would Gen Z not really want it because it takes a lot of fossil fuels to create the crypto as I've heard right so that's counterproductive for the planet that makes sense okay maybe that's why maybe I just solve my own mystery there yeah I mean why are we we I mean that doesn't make I, I never understood that part too like wait so we're gonna have all these computers and have all these extra energy and pollute the world even more to do to do digital just seems strange so yeah that could be the main reason okay if anyone knows just tell me i would love to know i don't currently know do i have time one last i liked elon musk's idea that was in the news i think today nope saturday this is msn the street, MSN, the street, Saturday. Uh, Musk has an original idea to solve the homeless crisis in San Francisco. Elon Musk is an iconoclastic CEO. He doesn't do things at all like others. Musk, who runs several companies at once, Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, the boring company. <laughs> That's a name, okay. Can, can spend almost a day on microblogging site, Twitter posts, different messages. This was a case on April 9th, but for the past few days, the billionaire's interactions on Twitter, of which he now owns just over 9%, have taken on another meaning. Musk was offered a seat on Twitter's board of directors in exchange for his promise not to acquire more than 14.9% of the platform. The billionaire intends to use this position to influence the future of social network. On of the social network. On April 9th, he got down to it by gradually revealing his intentions. The tech tycoon first started asking if Twitter was dying to justify his questions. 
he took the examples of the first 10 users of the most followers. He's one of them. And then he pointed out that on this list, which includes former President Barack Obama, singers Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, and Rihanna, a few, very few were active. A way from us to suggest that Twitter probably did not have interesting products or services to encourage its influence to produce content on the platform. A survey to solve the homeless crisis. The entrepreneurs suggested that Twitter stop flooding subscribers and paid services like Blue with ads. He seems to have saved the best for the end of the day, since Musk just asked a question that would no doubt cause waves among Twitter employees. This question, however, is intended to solve an important social problem. This problem also undermines the authorities in large cities like New York and San Francisco, cities where real estate prices have soared. The question is in form of a poll. Convert Twitter San Francisco headquarters to a homeless shelter, since no one shows up anyway, Musk wrote. He gave, he gave two possible answers, yes or no. Less than two hours after the publication of the poll, nearly 40,000 people had already liked the post. More than half a million Twitter users also had voted. Users have until April 10th to vote. Well, deadline has passed. Musk does not say what he will do next if the yes wins, for example. Will he force Twitter to move out and give the building to the city and nonprofits to help the homeless? Reactions to the survey are overwhelmingly positive. Many Musk fans and Chris critics alike have been begging him for a long time now to take care of the Earth issues instead of seeking to conquer space with SpaceX. You could literally afford to buy the homeless a whole country and still have billions left over, commented one user. Our government gets more than Elon's net worth every 30 days. Why doesn't our government do what you are proposing, another said. I love this, said another user. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm running out of time. An active CEO. E Elon Musk has taken on new dimensions since the start of the year. Richest man in the world, for example, broke the codes of approach to multinationals and political problems ever since the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. Musk has taken a stand for Ukraine and made it known. He decided to send Starlink terminals to Ukraine to allow populations to isolated zones and cities destroyed by Russia not to be cut off from the world. Starlink is a satellite internet connection offered by SpaceX. These same Starlink terminals also allow the Ukrainian authorities to have secure independent communication networks for war against Russia. Musk has also proposed to put an end to the war by duel between him and Russian President Vladimir Putin, but the latter never responded to the mogul's proposal. In so doing, he paved the way for other companies and CEOs to do the same. In so doing, Musk shattered the famous corporate neutrality. I mean, love it. What do we think? Should Twitter headquarters on market um, be converted into um, housing for the homeless? If it's not being occupied? I think so. I also like the idea of, you know, philanthropic billionaires making a difference. I think it is the American way as well. I think more responsibility to ensure equity and ensure basic human decency of life standards is the responsibility of the rich. Um, and he's allowed to become a, you know, billionaire here in this country. It, it makes sense to give back in this way so i like the idea so is that it that is pretty much it let's see crypto and the gens and elon's I homeless idea yeah 
Okay. I welcome feedback. It doesn't have to be like on a DM. You can just like talk to me and say, this is what I think about this episode. And this is what I think why the generations have these different views of crypto. And I'm open for the discussion. I'm learning along as I go, but yeah, I really hope the Sunshine Act passes so I can have my long sunsets and not have to deal with a seasonal defective disorder. Thanks everyone.